0: Crystal Shoemate has created a standout barrel racing breeding program based out of Florida. Her program focuses on mares that she has won on and the $3.5 million sire, BHR Frenchie Socks. She has created a world-class breeding program that focuses on quality over quantity, while also working as a nurse and competing herself. We were thrilled to have the opportunity to talk to Crystal and hear some behind-the-scenes stories from For the Fame Farms, and we hope you enjoy it as much as we did. This week's episode is brought to you by the REM mask from Expert Equine. Have you ever tried to sleep with the lights on? The lighting at arenas and event centers can make it hard for your horse to rest well and perform well. Help your horse today by visiting ExpertEquine.com. That's X P E R T Equine.com. Stay tuned to learn more at the commercial break.
1: One of my friends and Colorado Classic Stallion owner, Crystal Shumay, is our guest today. And I am so excited to talk to you about your program, your Stallion BHR Frenchie Socks, and just how you manage everything you do, um, also while while having a real job. I I really admire your program, so thank you for joining me today.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk about (laughs)
1: stuff <laughs> everything and you know what your program is one that I've always admired because I feel like especially Studley has had such a big impact but you guys are still in in terms of saying a, a small you know home operation right
2: absolutely we're very small um I think the most babies I've ever had born in a year that were mine is like four. Okay, uh, we tend to do things like on a smaller scale. I try to keep like a couple broodmares that I think really, you know, like help promote him. Um, mm-hmm. Like my favorite cross with him is obviously Dash to Fame, which Dash to Fame mares cross good with everything. Um, and I did acquire another um, Holland East daughter because the horse I ride, easygoing guy is out of a daughter of Hollandese, and I obviously really like that cross. So um, our first baby out of the Hollandese mare is a yearling, and then we have two coming. She didn't cooperate very well last year, so we have two coming soon. <laughs> that's that's it. And then my bash the fame mare, um, we have three two-year-olds from her, and then we have one frozen.
1: So let's, let's jump back, because I want to know, you know, how you handle breeding season and everything with your job. But let's start at the very beginning in, like, your background. Um, you know, tell us about being in Florida and having a program based in Florida. But then also, how did you even get into horses?
2: So I actually was born in Louisville, Kentucky. Um, my grandparents raised me. My parents were teen moms back before teen parents were cool, so my grandparents kind of stepped in and um, raised me. They actually had a feed company at Churchill Downs, so I was one of those kids that I grew up in horses. I actually did not like horses as a kid.
0: <laughs> really? I mean,
2: because I always had them. I was just like, uh, You know, to me, they were just work. I wanted to do sports, hang out with friends, go to school. Like, I was kind of a nerd. I really enjoyed school and and making straight A's and all that. So, But I did enjoy my time at Churchill Downs. I feel like I learned a lot about horsemanship, Um, just being with the horses, the care that they get behind the scenes. Like, I don't think people realize the thoroughbreds, how much work that it takes, like, race to race. And I got to see that, and I got to be around, like, some of the best trainers, some of the most well-known racehorses, so it was really cool. I always got to go to the Kentucky Derby, which I really cherish all those memories.
1: I was going to say, now that you're outside of it, do you look back and be like, gosh, like, what an opportunity, because to me, that sounds amazing.
2: Oh, yes. I, I really enjoyed it. Like, I even took a job like as a hot walker you know just to kind of be around the horses when I was a kid Mm -hmm. Uh, just to kind of get some experience and see that and I was around like some of the big trainers I got to meet Nick Zito, Bob Baffert and it's just amazing like the operation that they have and the care like I think people don't understand like how big of a role it plays in the horses is keeping them comfortable you know like I'm I'm really big on bedding their stalls deep to let them rest and I learned that at the racetrack they would say bed them deep and let them sleep because you know when they're not working they need to be resting saving that energy for when they do work
1: yeah tell us about some other things like when you're talking about bedding deep you know we you see people all the time either just a bag here, two bags there. And I know it varies, but like, I would just love to know a little bit more on like what it is behind the scenes on the racetrack.
2: So the racetrack, a lot of the horses, they actually use straw. Okay. Which I, I have been away from it now because my grandparents sold their business um, a few years ago, but um, they would use either the straw or the Suncoast bedding, but they, you know obviously cost isn't a factor for them Mm -hmm. their purses are so much larger than our barrel racing purses although our barrel racing purses are getting better but they um like literally would add two or three bags of shavings every day and when we would bed the stalls they would call ahead and you would get the stalls ready for them i mean my arms would get so tired from opening so many bags of shavings because they wanted them to rest good and like barrel horses, I feel like a lot of people, you get to the barrel race and they, a lot of people just keep whatever's with them. Mm-hmm. Um, we tend to put, depends on the size of the stall, but we tend to put a lot of shavings down and then we add as the week goes on.
1: Okay, I'm always interested about that and, and we could always get better about horse care. So, um, uh, what other things on the racetrack do you still use in your program today?
2: So we're big on fitness. Like I feel like if a horse has an injury, they need a little bit of time off. You have to give them that time to get back in shape. Like I played a lot of sports in high school. I was a soccer player, played basketball. So I realized like after the off season, you'd have to give yourself time to get back in shape. So I think a lot of people need to realize that, like, when your horse is out, you don't get to just ride them two days and then run them on the weekend. Mm -hmm. I mean, some people might do that, but I'm scared to death of injuries or re-injuring or whatever. So I think that's a big, big thing I learned from the racetrack. And also nutrition. Like, that is one of my biggest, most important factors in our program is nutrition. And at the racetrack, they always have these big hay nets. And they would always, like, have them hanging outside of their stall. Um, Obviously, we don't do that with our horses, but we do keep hay in front of them at all times. I think hay is way more important than grain. I feel like grain is kind of a supplement to them. Mm -hmm. And I wish that hay wasn't so expensive right now, but... We just bite the bullet, um, and we feed ours really well because that's so important. And I was at the racetrack, they actually feed them three times a day their grain, but they're obviously burning a lot of calories because they're training for long-distance races. So ours don't need quite that much grain, but it was a very big, important factor to me.
1: So interesting, and I kind of got off track there, but I just love learning about that type of stuff, and I mean, I know the racetrack is definitely where it's at when it comes to leg care, and I mean, everything, so. Um, yes, their,
2: their horses' legs are always wrapped, and they, they're they really big about shoeing, too. Like, they, mm-hmm. they change their shoes, like, for a certain race, um, they'll put a different type of shoe on them. And then like for training, they'll take those shoes off and go back to like a racing plate. Like that thought that was really interesting too. They do their feet a lot. Huh.
1: Interesting. I had no idea. Yeah. From the racetrack. Cause you said, you know, you work there, but you weren't really in love with it. Um, where, where did you go from there? Did you get out of horses or what led you to the barrel racing side of things?
2: So I moved to Florida when I was 15 um, because Florida sounded way cooler than Kentucky as a kid. So I just moved in with my mom down here, and I actually got into team roping first. Oh, really? Yes. So I had a paint mare. Her name was Cheyenne, and um, she was really cool. And I actually ended up putting a barrel pattern on her later down the road. And then I also had a rope horse, a paint also named Magic Radar, and he was kind of a horse that taught me a lot, (laughs) not necessarily always good (laughs) lessons, but he was one of those that would like just buck you off just on a rare occasion, just be like, oh, I feel like bucking you off today. So I learned a lot from that horse and cried a lot of tears because (laughs) of that horse.
1: That's funny. And did you have anybody that barrel raced around you? Or was it just kind of a natural progression going from the team roping side of things?
2: So my grandma actually did barrel race and my grandpa when they were younger. And, um, so I kind of always had it in there and I had a thoroughbred that they had given me he had broke down on the track like i think boat attendant or something so probably wasn't in his best interest to try to go back to racing and i put a pattern on him so um i kind of always wanted to do it but until i got that first really awesome horse i just
1: kind of was like yeah it's okay what was that first awesome horse that you had
2: So, her registered name was Jets Cash Upfront. She was actually my high school graduation present. And I went and tried her. And I think we won the barrel race by like three tenths. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I have to have her. So, I begged my grandpa, cried, pleaded, and he ended up buying her. Um, She was kind of like a little, like spindly, little narrow mare. Like, if you looked at her, she would not have caught your eye. But she just had this feel, and she had so much heart. So I talked him into it, and then she ended up being just a really nice mare. She's the only mare I ever made circuit finals on. Um, But we went to the circuit finals back in 2001. It was my rookie year. And she was just so fun. Like, it didn't matter. You could run her big pin, little pin, deep, hard, on the fence, off the fence. Like, she just was a barrel horse. She, she made you not have to worry about anything. You just ran barrels. Um, but she was, she was super, super cool.
1: So that's kind of where you got bit by the barrel racing bug and was like, hmm, maybe, maybe this is okay. Maybe I'll stick with this.
2: Yeah, she was just so fun and she just like taught me what it was like to ride a winner and i remember the first rodeo i won on her was uh brighton field day rodeo it's down in okeechobee and i think there was like a hundred and some girls in the slack and like martha Josie's name was on there and i just remember looking at that sheet like the running order of the slack and i'm like wow whoever leaves this rodeo winning it is going to really have done something and then ended up being me and i was like oh my gosh so that was kind of like my first big rodeo win. I think it paid like right at $3,000, which was a lot back then. Yeah. And so I was super, super excited. And she, I barely kept a barrel at Jackson. I would have placed pretty high there. Um, but it was, it was just a lot of fun. And I never dreamed it would happen to me. And then... She um, ended up taking me to circuit finals. And she was just one of those that was so consistent. Like you could take her to 10 rodeos. And she was going to place at 8 of the 10. That,
1: like she was that kind of horse. That's so cool. What led you to um, get a real person job. What we call it. Versus decide to stay in like the horse business full time. And explain a little bit about what you do outside of horses now. So,
2: cat rodeo mare was talking about she ended up bowing a tendon so she had to have a break and I decided to breed her to dash to fame so um, that baby was born in 2004 and her name is for the fame she's the one that we name our little horse business after and she was the most incredible horse that I've ever sat on like she just wanted to win she had the best style she was so fun. And she um trying to think, oh, it was her four year old year. We were out at the Fizz Bomb fraternity, Gillette, Wyoming. She had made two decent runs in the goes. Um, and she was placed in an average because that's how they do it out there, a three run average. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they still do it, but that's how they
1: that's how they used it. to do it. I think they changed now. But yep, I remember the three run days.
2: Yes. Yeah, so she made the short go. Um, but the second run, she just didn't feel like herself. Like, I think she cheated just a little bit and that just wasn't her. She was normally pretty honest. So we were going to get her out and ride her that afternoon. And I seen Derek riding her and I'm like, oh my gosh, she looks off. And the more he rode her, like the more she got off. So we ran her to a vet clinic Um, because I was worried like she'd broken something I mean because she was really off and they couldn't really figure it out so I had to scratch the short go even though I was all the way from Florida in Wyoming I always put my horses first and we got back to Kentucky and had her worked on she was just sore in her right front and nobody could ever really figure it out we did an MRI we did everything. All they said was just nerve her and keep going. But I wasn't going to do that to my horse. So, I mean, I'm not judging people. They can do whatever for their horse that they think is best. But I couldn't do that to her. So, obviously, with a horse like that, she was five. And I was just, like, over it. So, I decided to go to nursing school. And um, I'd, I'd always kind of been interested in nursing um, I have an anthus a nurse, and I just feel like it's a really good job for horse people yeah. because you can work and then find time to ride horses in between. So I just, I got in and I graduated in 2013. Um, I started out in the operating room, and it was a great place to start. Um, after just being out of school, you have all this knowledge, but you don't know what to do with it. So being in the operating room, you've seen everything and anything, literally from the inside out. So I learned a lot. Um, and then I ended up, I think I was six years in the OR, and then now I'm in a cardiac cath lab. It's like an outpatient cath lab. And they're really good to me in understanding and trying to work with me with my crazy schedule.
1: Yeah, what is your schedule like now, and how do you balance the horses in between it?
2: So, um, thankfully, I have Derek. <laughs> like. I couldn't do any of this without him. So, during breeding season, we don't have much life, obviously. So, coming up, he's going to try to go out for the Royal Crown in Fort Smith. And my work is really good to me. So, they're going to let me have monday wednesdays and fridays off for collection days um because studley is a little bit spoiled he likes living at home i mean there has been times we've had to leave him at the clinic when derek and i both have to be gone but we just prefer to keep him at home so he can be happy so my work will accommodate that for me
1: coming up so that makes it even busier hauling back and forth three days a week oh
2: yes yes absolutely but Um, he just he loves to be home and he likes to see his mares and um with him being well he's already twenty four this year. So we just want to spoil him and keep him happy as long as we can. So whatever he wants, he gets. (laughs) Luckily the clinic is only about a twenty minute drive, so it's not terrible.
1: Let's talk about him. When did he come into your life? And this is BHR Frenchie Socks for those that are listening. And when did owning a stud become something on your your goal list
2: so my grandparents bought him from the myers and fulton cell which was in 2000 because he's a 99 model so he was a yearling and we got him home and they got him broke by a rain and trainer up there in indiana and with them having the thoroughbred background thoroughbred people they don't really like to geld horses like i honestly had no intentions of having a stallion like i wanted to geld him and rodeo and they're like no absolutely not they really liked his bottom side i guess they had known like a lot of those race horses on his papers on the bottom and they had ran against them at some of the tracks back in the day so that's what caught their eye and then frenchman's guy was kind of the up and coming next big thing back then he wasn't like superstar status like he is now he's a legend but so they bought him and then um I had given him the nickname Studley. they all wanted to call him heart attack because of the broken heart branch brand on his hip and I'm just like no <laughs> I was like studly just fits and then I had threatened him and told him if he didn't run good that he would be gelding and his nickname would change from Studley to dudley there you go so he decided he wanted to be a barrel horse and honestly he was like super fun to run like he was so honest and light and fun and he actually ended up reserve champion out at the five state breeders fraternity in rapid city south dakota and that year it was held outside and he loved the big out, outdoor pens. so I was really excited to get to run him outside.
1: That's so cool. I don't think I realized that you guys bought him when he was so young. I don't know when I thought you had him, but, like, I mean, that's that's over two decades of him being a part of your family's story.
2: Yes, absolutely. We, we bought him as a yearling, and then we bought a weanling with him as well, and she was a filly. Um, and she ended up making a nice horse, too but he, he just caught my grandpa's eye, um, and I was rodeoing at the time, because that's when I had cash, and he was like, I bought you a horse, I'm like, you did what, and I mean, he just did it all on his own, and we were like, okay, so um, we got him broke and riding, and he was just, he was really fun and easy, and he's a very sweet, quiet stud, like, When we take him to collect him, you wouldn't even know he was a stud unless you knew he was a stud. He's just very docile and gentle, and I love that about him. He's kind of spoiled
1: us. How long did you run him before he went to just being 100% on stud duty? So
2: we ran him until he was five. Um, We just, you know, studs weren't as big of a thing back then. Mm -hmm. Like nowadays, everybody has a stud. So it was a little bit difficult trying to haul a stallion, and I was just like a kid. I think I was 23 when he was four, so I had no experience either, so I was just like, ready to let him be a stud because i wanted to rodeo and stuff back then i was all rodeo 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 and now i'm all futurity barrel race security barrel race i want to go and be somewhere a week and not have to like load up and go <laughs> so right so i was just ready to let him be a stud and get some babies on the ground and and go from there because my grandparents i begged them to let me geld him so i could rodeo and they were like absolutely not so thank goodness They were smart enough to see what I couldn't
1: see. So that, I'm trying to make sure I follow the timeline, right? So by the time you stopped running him, that was like 2004, right? 2004, 2005. What did you do to like start getting his name out there? Because when you started standing him as a stud, I mean, that was really before Facebook days, way before most of the stallion incentives, minus, you know, the five states or VGBRA. So what was it like getting him out to the public?
2: So it was just kind of started word of mouth. Um, like a lot of my friends down here had seen him run and and they were asking about breeding to him and i think i charged people like 500 dollars back in the day i was just like yeah here you go here you know you go. like cuz we wanted to get some babies on the ground and we had no idea what we were doing i mean i was literally just a kid and i'm like oh yeah you know if you want to breed to him go ahead and we Live covered him back in the day. We would just like have people bring their mares over, and we would get them covered, and then go from there. And then it just the people started breaking their babies and liking them. And then I think Kiss This Guy was like the first big one um, that hit the pin, and I think he won like sixty or seventy thousand his maturity year. And then um, Joyce's guy, which he's like a full brother to Good Frenchman Friday, which Talmadge Green had him, and he won a little bit of money. And then, obviously, um, when Ariel hit the pin with Lacey Donegan, that's when it, like, went crazy.
1: Went insane. Everybody saw how fast those horses were and started getting on his books.
2: Yes, yes. Lacey and Ariel, they were fun to watch. Like I'll never forget when she won the slot race and she went, I mean, like way past the third. I think Mm -hmm. she was just like, we've got to even get close to this barrel. And then I think she won it with like a 15-4. And then she came back the first go of the juvenile and won it with a 15-1. I was just like, oh my gosh, she's a freak. Like she was really, really fun to watch.
1: So since then, in like how your programs evolved, what have some ups and downs that you've had to overcome um of owning a stud and give us a little bit of insight. I mean, for our listeners that either want to get in the stud business or, you know, I don't think people quite realize like how much work it is to get your stud out there, get his name out there, try to get foals in the right hands. Like how has that been over the last 15, 20 years?
2: So it's, it's difficult. I'm not going to lie. Um, we, we've just been very blessed. Um, the babies have kind of just advertised themselves, Mm -hmm. but I would say the most challenging is the highs and lows. I mean, it's just like barrel racing. You know, you're, you're like on a roller coaster. You'll have years where you just can't do anything wrong and then you'll have years where you can't do anything right like nothing will go your way and you just got to stay focused stay on track and just believe and and do the best you can i i know like we we don't have as many mayors as i would like to have so we just got to kind of depend on other people to help us and we have a few people that come back like year after year and they're wanting his babies and and we're very thankful for people like that and then we have new people every year too that are just like oh i've always wanted one and i'm going to try one finally so it's just you've got to just stay focused and keep the faith and if you believe in something it will happen
0: have you ever tried to sleep with the lights on have you ever trained for an event arrive ready to perform but one element is very different from home the lights stay on all night long. The absence of dark for extended period of times cause sleep deprivation in horses and people. We all know how we start to feel without enough sleep. Imagine your horse not sleeping in those brightly lit stall barns for days on end, but still expected to be calm and perform at his very best. Sleep deprivation can lead to extreme worry and prevents the mind and body from the natural healing and rejuvenation experienced after a good night's rest there is an inexpensive solution the rem mask from expert equine blocks blue light rays helping horses achieve sleep in a stressful setting such as a big overnight barrel race where the lights stay on the rem mask is highly effective and easy to use visit xpertequine.com or ask to find them at your favorite western retailer
1: When the incentives, um, the bigger incentives started coming out, I think that was back in like late 2017, early 2018, um, what what was it about, you know, hopping into the pink buckle that then has spurred off Ruby and Royal Crown and Blue Collar and everything like that? Like what was it that you were like, you know what, I'm going to get in on this?
2: So the timing of that could not have been better because – It was, like, right after Ariel had won the slot race, and then Mater and all of them had done so well their four-year-old year. year. So we were kind of like, you know, we've bred some mares. We want to give back to the people that have bred to him. So we want to take a chance on this and give them the opportunity to run for these incredible payouts. Mm -hmm. So Garrett called, like, I didn't even know could talk that much. He's pretty quiet. (laughs) And, I mean, he was on the phone calling people, asking people, because it was very nerve-wracking, obviously, to write a check for 25000 and we really had no idea what we were getting into. But we just felt like it was something that our industry needed to step up the payouts. So we took a chance and and did it, and obviously now I couldn't be more thrilled because the program has just grown and grown and has done so much for our industry in a positive way.
1: Yeah, I mean, talking about the the thoroughbred purses, and now we have some barrel racing purses that are like bringing people in, and you know, really are game changers for the sport.
2: Yes, very much so, and and I think it's a in a good way Mm -hmm. I mean some people are negative about it and I'm like it's it's increased the prices of the horses it's increased the purses it's increased all these incentives because I don't know if all the other incentives would have been created had this not taken place but I think it's all really good and and the sales at the pink buckle have been incredible to watch
1: yeah I mean and I I think you're right about that I don't think you know most of the big incentives that we have probably wouldn't be here if it wouldn't have been spurred off by that. So good or bad, whatever anybody thinks, like those opportunities are here because stud owners like yourself were willing to take a chance and give it what it needs to kick it off.
2: Absolutely, and I'm so glad we took that chance. And I remember back in the day when Mary Ellen Hickman started Future Fortunes, she had asked us if we wanted to put our stud in it, But me being a kid, I was like, no, no, you know, like I had no idea what she was even evolving. And I was like, I really am mad at myself for not doing that to be one of the first studs in future fortunes. So when Pink Buckle came up, we were just kind of like, okay, let's do it. You know, like, we just got to take a chance and do it. And I'm so glad we did. It's one of our favorite events to go to every year.
1: I love that. we. I had a podcast with Mary Ellen, and she told that story. And it's just so funny, like, how... Negative, everybody was for it to start, and like, I guess, if you want to talk about starting incentives, like, there was one you know that really got it kicked off, and I just love the background of that. And it just takes you know a group of people to want to make it happen and look at where we're at now.
2: Absolutely, and our industry is just growing, and and I love to see all the positive changes that are going forth because it's so expensive to do this. So it's nice to be able to run for bigger purses and be able to sell horses for bigger money.
1: Mm-hmm. Tell us a little bit about being Florida based. Um, we've had a couple guests on in Florida, but like, I mean, I feel like you guys have such a, I mean, a very tough region of barrel racing. But sometimes you wouldn't think that, like. Florida is so barrel racing heavy. Do you mainly compete in the state or, you know, do you go go up to Georgia? Like kind of what is your region like?
2: So it's definitely geographically challenging living in Florida. But we do have quite a few pretty good jackpots around here. Um, The ground tends to be a little bit heavier and sandier than I prefer. So I kind of pick and choose where I go because I, I like my horses to get confidence over their runs and not like, them backwards, mm-hmm. so we try to pick and choose where we run. But we do have some pretty good barrel races that pay good, and our state show is really good. It's it's the same weekend as the Colorado Classic, but this year we're going to try to come out to yours and skip state, just because it'd be nice to go out, venture out, and try somewhere different. But I feel like the road trips are more difficult than anything like the hauling. And I feel like it puts extra stress on you as a competitor Mm -hmm. because you feel like I've driven all this way. I have to do something and you have to realize these are colts, so they can have good days. They can have bad days. And I feel like we don't get to run ours quite as much like one of my four year olds. She's had just a really bad string of luck here lately, but I mean, I think she's maybe ran eight times since November 15th, and I'm just like, how do we compete? But we have to keep going because that's the only way to get better is to go.
1: Yeah, I, you know, we're kind of like that with the snow sometimes, um, you know, I see all these people making all these runs in the winter and I'm out trotting in a pasture full of snow and it's like, well, <laughs> maybe by summer we'll be caught up. <laughs> it's not going to be in February. That's makes for sure. You, it makes you
2: just feel behind and you like, you're not doing them justice.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So tell us about your program now. I know you said that, you know, mayors and foals, wise, you only have a, a couple a year, but what are the mayors you have You know, how many do you keep for training and then tell us how like you and Derek, I know you work so well together with his training and you compete and he competes, like tell us about like your program.
2: So we have our Dash to Fame mare and we have a Frenchman's guy daughter and then we have the Hollandese brute mare. And... Um, our Dash to Fame mare, she's kind of not doing too well. So I don't know if we'll get any more babies out of her. We just have that frozen one. So we're really hopeful that one will make it. And then our Hollandese mare, we flushed her twice last year. So we have one due in about two weeks and then another one due two weeks after that. And we, right now, I think we have, like, 14 that we're riding every day together and that's including our open horses um and Derek is breaking our three two-year-olds right now they're all out of our dash to fame air for the fame and the one is doing excellent the other one's still just kind of learning just starting and then the other one we're just in the like tying up about to start saddling phase and then we have four um three-year-olds and one just had surgery which she's coming back from it good nothing major and then uh, the other three are doing really really good um, two of them are other people's horses um, one is a BHR Frenchy Socks, and the other one is Eddie Stinson and they're both doing really well and another three-year-old that is just Ours is a BHR Frenchie Socks out of a dash to fame mare that we bought from a friend in Louisiana. And I don't really buy a lot of horses, but I don't know. Something just told me to get this one. She wrote me and said, you know, this is what I want. And I said, Derek, we have to go get him. So we got in the truck and left and got him. I, I remember I'd worked that day. I was so tired. And I still don't know how we made the trip, but we did it. And he was well worth it. And Derek, he does all the braking, starting, and riding, and then kind of when they're loping through, he'll have me get on them and kind of see what they feel like. And we just kind of work together. We ride different styles, so we work really well together. He tends to do better with the free runners, and I tend to do better with the steadier, more push style horses. So we really complement each other well. And he's just really good at tuning them. And when they're broke by him, like I know that they're going to have the feel that I like and look for. Mm-hmm. So, We're kind of picky, like are broke. I know everyone has their own definition of broke, but we like them to be broke, like in the face and their body and move off your leg, not just lope circles and fall into the circles and not buck you off. Like we don't consider that broke. So we kind of are on the same page about that, which I'm very thankful to have his help because I do not break horses. I'm a big (laughs)
1: wimp. Yeah, I'm with you. No, thank you. (laughs) <laughs> there, there are other people that are better at it than I am. That's for sure. Yes.
2: Yeah, so it, it takes a special person. You have to have that patience and like, I'm, I'm very impatient. Like I just want, um, I think that she just pick everything up right away. And Derek's like, it takes time, Crystal. It will be okay. And I'm just like, okay, whatever you say. So I just kind of walk away. And then a couple of weeks later, they're like a different horse. But thankfully, he's very patient, and our personalities are so different, but we mesh
1: well together. Is your goal to them, and do you aim for more four- or five-year-old fraternities? And then how do you decide which ones to keep back for Open Horses versus, you know, a lot of programs sell them right after the fraternity year?
2: So the selling part, I could work on more. I'm terrible at selling them. I get so attached. But we, we plan to sell most of ours. Um, easygoing guy and go-to guy, those are probably the only two geldings that we've ever kept. They were both just really special geldings. Um, go-to guy was out of my cashmere that started my whole breeding program. And he was the coolest. Like, he had the best style. Um, unfortunately, he had an injury injury that they couldn't really do anything about back then but had it happened now we could have done more but it's just the cards we were dealt so he's retired here and he will never leave our place we love him and then easygoing guy he is the one that's my number one mount he's he's 16 hands Um, He's scared of his own shadow. Like, he is a scaredy cat. And I felt like if I would have sold him and would have seen somebody be mean to him over the way he is, like, that would not have been good. I would go to jail for that (laughs) horse. So I figured I was better off to keep him. He's just, he's really easy. He's super light. He still runs an O-ring with a smooth mouth, and he's 16 hands. So I love that how light he is and fun and honest and easy so he was kind of I mean I tried to sell him when he was three nobody looked at him and then I priced him when he was an open horse like around five somebody was supposed to try him but for some reason they didn't get their plane ticket it didn't happen and I was just like it's just maybe he was just meant to stay here Um, but we do plan on selling most of them coming up. The only ones I probably will end up keeping are some of my daughters out of my For the Fame mare, Mm -hmm. just because she's a daughter of cash. And I want to keep those for brood mares down the road because I'm really big on having mares that we've ridden. And we know other than my Holonese mare, we've ridden everything that we flushed embryos on.
1: I think that's so cool, especially when you see programs. I mean, I know financially sometimes you got to breed them, get them on the ground, sell them to float the boat to breed the next years. But the programs that keep some back to prove the broodmares and studs they have, like, I would you know, that that means more to me as, you know, an outside consumer. Like, you guys obviously have the faith in your stud and your brood mares to keep them yourself. So, you know, that gives me a little bit more insight to be like, hey, maybe I'll have faith in that too.
2: Yes. I, I love that part of it because I've ridden most of my mares. Like, going all the way back to my cash days. Like, she was so fun, honest, had heart and try. And she honestly loved Running Barrels. And then her Dash to Fame daughter, same way. And then now we have some daughters of hers, which the oldest one that I have and have kept, she's 11. And I think I've only sold, I have 10 For the Fame babies and five Phillies, five Colts. And I think we've sold... Two colts and one filly. Well, she's a mare now. I guess she's twelve. But we are very particular about where they end up, and they've all made barrel horses. Like it's, it's just so nice to have a horse that you've ridden their babies, and you knew them, and you know their babies. Like they're breaking three of her babies right now. Like it's easy because he knows them and he trusts them. It's they just are smart and they just get it.
1: Do you think keeping that open horse back um and having um like that gelding in your trailer kind of helps take your the pressure off when you are running colts?
2: Absolutely. I think you have to have something in your trailer just to kind of keep you sane and be like, Oh, I can run barrels. I can do this because babies are babies. They have good days and bad days. Like we went to a barrel race this weekend. It was our first one in like six weeks. We weren't sharp. They weren't sharp. And it's just a very humbling sport, but you have to keep going to get better and to improve. So we just, we'll keep going and hopefully we'll get it back eventually.
1: Yeah, I I learned that, and I mean, I know there's some trainers that every year they start off new, but when I don't have that open horse in my trailer, I mean, it is easy to get super nitpicky, you know, super down if the colts aren't working, but it's like, as soon as you have that good horse, no pressure on the colts, you can keep your jockey skills tuned up and get out of that trainer mode, and um that was a lesson I had to learn, and now I'm like, I will always have one in my trailer. Is, is, as long as I can, because I feel like it helps my colts do even better.
2: Absolutely. And, and like, Derek, you know, he's been here riding all these young horses. Like, the three-year-olds, they're trying to learn how to lope through. And it's like a you lose your confidence and feel. You're just like, can I even make a pattern? Oh. So, I had Derek uh, this past weekend. I let him run the 11-year-old mare. And I'm like, here, Derek, you run her today. So... It was nice for him to like, Oh, I can do this I mean they barely drug a barrel, but she was really working. So it was it's really good to keep that feel because it's our our sport is a mental game as much as anything else. And I feel like you get to where you mentally are so hard on yourself. Mm-hmm. But we have to remember it's us and the horse and they can't talk to you so they can have bad days too i'm sure you're like me and some days you just don't feel good but they can't say hey i just don't feel good today you just have to to feel them out and try to figure it out and be their voice and advocate
0: as always thanks for being a listener and thank you to crystal for spending some time with us Don't forget to check out The Money Barrel on Patreon.com or download the Patreon app and search for The Money Barrel. For just $5 a month, the cost of a single exhibition, you can gain access to awesome bonus content like extra episodes and extended episodes. Don't wait for your next event. Get your hands on the REM mask from Expert Equine and help your horse sleep better. Visit xpertequine.com. Your horse will thank you. All right, everyone. Run fast. Be safe, and we'll see you soon.